0: Please.
1: Welcome back to the next part of this Truth and Rhythm episode. Be sure to subscribe to this channel. If you've already done so, please share it with friends. Also, become a member by joining Truth and Rhythm on Patreon or consider donating at funkinstuff.net. Thank you so much for your interest and support. Enjoy. when you thought of yourself as, you know, pursuing a music career and you wound up with Tower of Power, was that sort of the, you know, niche or slot that you kind of envisioned for yourself or was it a little bit different?
0: Well, I always, always envisioned myself being uh, a singer, you know, just, you know, Lane Williams, you know, and uh, never thought so much about being in a group or anything like that because most of the groups, you know, they were all dancing and You know, the choreography, you know, the temptations, the, you know, the miracles, people like that. And and that wasn't really, at that time, that really wasn't what I wanted to do. You know, it's like, you know, I just wanted to sing, you know, like you say, you know, just vocalize. And and I didn't want to really be, you know, dancing and, you know, being, you know, restricted by choreography and things like that. So but I think that the thing with Tower Power that attracted me so much as that was that they didn't do any choreography. You know, they just played and you just do what you want to do. You know what I mean? You just yourself. And so that was perfect for me because I didn't want to be confined, you know, to steps. And, uh, you know, maybe I wanted to hit, you know, just lean back and hit a note. But I got to, you know, throw my hand up over here and get it back over here and go over there. You know, and, and so, uh, you know, so that suited me perfectly, you know, for um uh where I was, you know, in my uh progression uh at that particular time. And so yeah, but 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 it was definitely something that I was proud to do. You know, I mean I you know, it wasn't like, you know, it's like this is the only thing that's available for me. And so I'm gonna do it, you know, no, it was, I mean, I was uh, you know, super so excited about the opportunity because I'd already written for the band, so I knew you know uh, the kind of songs that they liked and uh, you know it was an opportunity for me to get a chance to write and uh and be you know part of something that was was happening and so you know i I was uh, just overjoyed about it uh and um, but I do have to say that uh it's not sort of like my my youngest daughter uh she was going with a, a white guy. And so she, uh, they were talking about getting married and she was asking me, how did I feel about that? And I was saying, well, I mean, if you love him, you love him, right? I said, but to be honest with you, when you were a child and I thought about one day that I would marry, that I would, you know, you'd get married and I'd walk down the aisle in my vision, you know, maybe it's just because of, you know, the way things are in the United States or the way things are culturally, I just assumed that, that, you know, in my vision that it was going to be you know, the groom was always black when I would see it in my in my mind or my imagination. Uh, but doesn't mean that that's uh, was the only way that I would accept you getting married. And the same thing uh, when I was growing up, you know, I'd see myself as a, you know, on Ed Sullivan, and now right here, we're live on our stage, really big show, you know, Lenny Williams, you know, I didn't think, you know, in terms of a band, but uh, but in no way did that mean that if an opportunity with a band came up that I wouldn't accept it and be, you know, in it wholeheartedly and, you know, and just dive in and dive in and, you know, just become, you know, part of, uh, of an ensemble.
1: I'm not sure if you were, but I had Emilio on the show a while back, and I asked him, you know, about a couple of, um, you know, road experiences that really stand out to him from from that era. And so I want to ask you the same thing: Are there one or two memories from the road, good or bad, or crazy or funny or whatever, uh, with Tower of Power that just really leap to your mind?
0: Well, I remember we were in uh, Germany. We went on a Warner Brothers tour. That was right before I left the band. And um, so we get to, uh, I don't know what city it was in Germany. And, uh, God, I'm trying to think of his name. Uh, there was an American singer over there, and he was huge in Germany. Uh, he had the Rocky Baby. George McRae. George McRae, right. And So he's like, hey, Lenny, what have you been doing since you've been there? I was like, uh. Oh you know, just singing, you know, just doing this. And he's like, oh, man, I'm gonna check you out. You know, and he's like huge over there, right? And so he takes me out. We have a ball. I'm just, you know, and then I, you know, we're, you know, we're gonna leave like about four or five in the morning. I get back and it's like two o'clock. So I pack all my bags and everything and I put them out by the door. And, uh, you know, cause they, you know, they come by and get your bags and stuff and put them on the bus. And somehow or another, they, assumed when they came out and got my bag that I had already gone to the bus and I just overslept, right? So then when I wake up, everybody's gone, you know, and uh, the people who've uh, been to Germany, you know, you know, they know it. what is you know, kind of a saying that, you know, they still haven't gotten over the war, right? And so they don't really like to speak English. And so <laughs> uh, I jump up and I try to go to the train station to catch everybody. And I get to the train station and they're gone. And, uh, and then I go back to the hotel and I'm just like, I was like, you know, what am I gonna do? And it just so happened that I saw this uh, Chinese girl that the guys were talking to the night before they had a party. So I said, I know these guys don't know how to speak German. So obviously she speaks English, right? And so she was still there at the hotel. I guess she worked there. And it just so happened that she was from Oakland and I started talking to her. So she took me down to the bus station or the train station, got me on the right train, uh, called uh, the the people from Warner Brothers to tell them, you know, where, you know what time I was arriving and everything. And then just like other than that, I'd probably still be in Germany walking around. you will know, be 76 years old, still trying to find my, my way, you know. But uh, so that was one of the things that stood out. And, um,
1: kind of like your version of home alone
0: yeah yeah, definitely right and then uh and then uh i remember you know sometimes you know just us we were at um a hotel in milwaukee i think and uh and we ran into paul lynn you know he was real popular and uh, he was on the hollywood squares or something like that and uh ran into him and uh, his boyfriend or whatever, or husband, I'm not sure. And they were like, you know, so like, this is Paul, man. Who are you guys? Child power. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then he's like, you guys got any pills? You got any pills? <laughs> like, they were looking for quaaludes or something like that. It was just funny, you know, you see this guy there and then, it, you know, and then it's like, you're, you're awestruck, but then, you know, he's like buddying up to you. It's like, you know, and then running the George Carlin or something like that. And, you know, and I remember running to George Carlin and he was looking for something, you know, get high on. And I remember somebody was like, well, they had some heroin. Oh, no, 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 no. George was looking for some weed or, you know, or something. But he wasn't looking for, you know, and it was just kind of interesting. You know, he just hurried up and ran away from the, you know, you know, the heroin. Somebody had it. And then, you know, just hanging out with Mick Jagger, you know, going doing a show over there in England and, uh uh, Elton John come to the show, you know things like that. So those were, you know, good experiences. Yeah, but uh, yeah, just uh, it's just life, and I was young and living it uh, by the moment. You know, I wasn't taking a lot of pictures. I think about all the, you know, like now with the cell phone, you're taking pictures all the time, and and it's like, you know, just uh, you know, I didn't memorialize a lot of that stuff uh, in pictures and things of that nature. Um, but you know, I do have memories and. You know, for the most part, you know, those were, uh, you know, uh, you know good memories and definitely, uh, you know, uh, just I was just building, you know, building, you know, my life uh, and uh, and my, my career.
1: Was there anyone in particular that jumps out that uh, maybe you were on a bill with that just kind of blew you away with their performance on stage?
0: Oh um, maybe Earth Wind Fire, you know yeah uh, yeah doing the Child power years you mean yeah probably uh, maybe Earth Wind Fire we did uh, one show with them uh, and uh, we were they were kind of like starting out and they were on Columbia or whatever it was and and we were Warner brothers and we were battling out. I think the Jacksons even came to the show. He's like, oh you got these two bands you know from California and LA and you know Southern California, Northern California. And uh, you know it was that was that was a lot of fun, yeah. And uh, you know just uh, kind of odd by their performance. But uh, you know there were a lot of people that we did shows with that uh, that really stood out. You know, uh, you know Carlos, you know did shows with Carlos Santana. You know, uh, you know just uh, kind of watching how uh, uh, headliners um, like when people come to see someone. You know their expectation level is, you know, uh, is at a peak, and um, and you know sometimes it's even though a opening act may outshine the the headliner, just for the mere fact that you know people come to see the headliner, you know they still kind of walk away feeling that you know that uh, that the headliner you know uh, uh, uh met all the expectations. Uh, and I think that's just because I guess it's it's what you're what you're looking for, you know, and you know, just kind of noticing things like that. I remember one time we were in New York, uh small outside of New York, I can't think of the city. And uh you know they were like, who who's open up for us tonight? And it's oh uh LaBelle. And it's oh you know you know Patty LaBelle and the bluebells, you know, we're thinking they're gonna come out in these gowns and you know do the and then we hear this we're downstairs and in the dressing room. we hear this rumbling and this roaring and this crowd just going crazy like you know Marilyn Monroe or Elvis Presley or somebody you know walked in and it was just you know it was just so tremendous that we had to come upstairs and take a look and here's Patti LaBelle rolling around on the stage. And they had these space outfits. And, you know, it was like, just, it's like, oh, my God, we got to go on behind that. You know, it was just unbelievable. And then when we go on, uh, I would say probably a half to three quarters of the people lo- had left. You know, it was like they came to see, the, came to see LaBelle. And you know, and it just so happened that you know Tower Power was headlining the show. And I don't know, if, you know, they had a cult following there or whatever, but that was a real interesting uh you know uh night too. Uh and he just uh you know, just kind of the um the effect of uh, of a of a powerhouse, you know, uh, you know, coming on before you and uh you know it was, uh, it was uh, i don't know you know if you ever talked to Emilio maybe he might remember that show but it was uh, really kind of interesting you know just that the whole effect yeah
1: yeah i'm thinking that must have been right around 73 74 when they were at their peak
0: yeah right but but it was it was right be- i think they were ascending and i think that lady marmalade or whatever show song was just coming out and it was like i remember thinking when they say LaBelle and you know, I thought Patty LaBelle and I'm thinking that I'm thinking that they're going to come out in these gowns and do their, you know, imp- you know, their supreme kind of thing, you know, the you know, the, the the thing that was happening in those days, and it was like nothing like that, you know. I guess it's sort of like if you, uh, you, know people look back, and I hear young people say, "Oh, I saw some old stuff on George Clinton and them when they were the Parliament, and they were I just want yeah." And they do up, and then the next thing you know, this guy's got you know, 15 colors in his hair and a beard and walking around with a diaper on, and all this other kind of stuff. And it's like, oh no, you know, it's like that was then, and this is now, you know. And uh, it was like when they made that change, and it was just just really kind of interesting, yeah. And I never will forget forget that show, you know, Uh, and it kind of always uh, stuck with me. And my other thing with Patty LaBelle was, I remember I was on tour, her eye. And uh, Richard Pryor was the headliner, so we're on tour. So I would go on, Patty would go on, and then Richard. And so we get to—this um, is after I left Tower Power. So we get to um, uh, somewhere in Louisiana, and um, the lady who was promoting the show says, "Patty, you have to go on first and open the show because the people, the crowd, usually comes late." And if they come and Lenny's already saying that cause I love you song, I'm gonna have a problem. And Patty's like, no, 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 don't go that way. You know, this is the way it goes, Lenny, me and Richard. So then Patty's not going for it. So then she calls Richard on the, he's up in his room at the hotel. So Richard comes down, he's down there for two minutes and he realizes that he can't solve the situation. He's like, well, the hell with it. I'm going back to my room. He's probably going back to the room, get high, right? You know, it's like, yeah, you know, you guys figure it out. And so finally the, the promoter won. And so it's like, I, you know, I was totally against it. Like what singer in their right mind wants to go on behind Patty LaBelle, right? You know, it's like, <laughs> but I remember you know, Patty went on then I went on and, you know, it turned out great. And then Richard went on, and so that we, we switched that up one night. But uh, that was an interesting time, too. Yeah, yeah, interesting.
1: Phenomenal. What a, what a great bill, too.
0: Yeah, it was. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I enjoyed it.
1: Oh. Uh, yeah. Well, Lenny, for my, uh, my money, um, of those three, Tower of Power, Urban Renewal was, you know, although maybe it didn't have the biggest hits of those three albums, it was the most cohesive from front to back in terms of just it was just killer i mean all the way through and it was uh i would say probably the most straight ahead really r&b of those three records um do you agree with that and w- what was your favorite of the tower of power era for you
0: i like the back and open was my
1: favorite yeah
0: uh-huh. but i mean it was, you know i mean but i you know i mean you know the album went so very hard to go and what is it, it from a a record executive's point of view, now that I am a record executive, you know, over my label, I'd have to go with the first album, uh, you know, with the Tom Power album that had uh, So Very Hard to Go and What is Hip and, uh, you know, This Time it's Real. Uh, but from my personal point of view, I thought that uh, Back to Open was the the most R and B ish of the of of the records, and you know, back to Oakland. I like that record too. You know, uh, you know, only so much oil on the ground, and uh, I think willing the learn was on that. Yeah, right. I really you know love that record, and uh you know. But I mean, I like them all. But uh, but if I had you know to pick, I would uh, you know uh, pick back to Oakland to be as the record that I thought that uh, was the most R and B ish of. Uh, of uh, of the, the three uh, three albums that I did with the band,
1: and timing wise, you were actually concurrently doing some of your own records while you were still part of the band, right? I just did one. I did. I think. Well, actually, I
0: did two. I did one, uh, the Pray for the Lion album uh, on Warner Brothers, and then as I was, and then I was doing the uh, Rise and Beauty album, but then I wound up leaving uh, Warner Brothers, leaving the band. And I took that album over to, uh, to uh, Motown.
1: And, and why did you part ways with Tower of Power? Well, um, one of the reasons
0: was we went to, did the Warner Brothers tour. And, um, and when we got through customs, overheard, overheard one of the guys, like, we made it. I made it. And then I subsequently found out that he had snuck his uh, heroin kit in. And I was like, you know. I got two kids, two sons, and uh, and I think we had gotten this talk from Warner Brothers that um, you know we, it was Frankfurt where we were going in, and Frankfurt they said of all the places in Germany, Frankfurt was the most like the South in the United States. Uh, you know, uh, friction with African Americans. I guess because they had the base there, had a lot of African Americans on the base. They were dating, you know, the German girls and, you know, resentment and everything. So, you know, for African-American guys in the bands like Doobie Brothers and myself and, you know, the Warner Brothers tour, you know, and a couple of guys some Little Feet to, you know, just, you know, be careful, you know, be careful. Don't go out by yourself, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I'm thinking, you know, the this. I guess the selfishness of that person, you know, I guess it it didn't resonate with them because, you know, that wasn't an issue for them, but it was an issue for me. And so, you know, if I come out with all my tall friends and somebody says, people here, you know, they got, when they see tall people, they, you know, they want to fight, you know, so I, you know, I, I kind of look up, you know, for my tall friends, you know, and so I I just, I remember going to Mimi and I was just him, hey you know when we when we get back I'm out you know I was like you know I mean I'm not like cold turkey but you know find some find somebody you know do you think it fit the bill and so happened you know uh uh Hubert Tubbs was hanging out you know you know he he wanted the gig you know you know it would have been fine if you know 6 months ago if he could have had it you know and I guess he's flirting with the band and You know, they're kind of flirting with him a little bit or whatever, and maybe rightfully so, because, you know, you know, there was all this talk that I might leave or whatever. And so, you know, I guess, you know, it's understandable that you might just be thinking, well, you know, we need, you know, somebody to, you know, people have a spare, you know, in the car, you know, because something might happen, you know, might get a flat. And so, you know, it was... So it worked out for me and, you know, we were for band. So that was my main reason. And then I kind of thought that uh, we were getting uh, a little uh, incestuous with the music. You know, the, the, the writers were, you know, primarily Mimi and Doctor and me, you know, doing, you know, some writing. Uh, Bruce every now and then would throw in a song, but, you know, and so I kind of thought that the, The music was a little incestuous, uh, so to speak, that, uh, you know, know, we need new ideas and, uh, you know, outside, uh, you know, writers to come in. And so that was, uh, you know, in the back of my mind. And then when the thing happened in in Germany over in Frankfurt, it was like, okay, it's it's, it's, it's time to go because i sure they want. I don't want to go to jail at all. And I sure don't want to go to jail in a foreign country in 19, not in nineteen seventy. Five, I think it was, yeah, and so uh, I just opted to continue to meet you know, the band.
1: Mm-hmm. And it really clicked for you as a solo artist with choosing you. Um, that record, I think, went gold. But you had the uh, hit I mentioned earlier uh, went to number twenty-one on the R&B. And um, you know, how did that record come together? And did did it end up being as you had sort of imagined or envisioned? Yeah, it was really interesting because I had done the two
0: records when I was with Child Power, the uh the Rise Stephen Beauty and the Pray for the Lion album, and they didn't hit. And so I was dejected. And then I was kind of wondering, you know, uh, you know, maybe, you know, I had hit my peak with Child Power, you know, maybe that was uh the way it was supposed to be. You know, I mean Mick Jagger's uh you know, had smash hits with the Rolling Stones, and he's done albums by himself, and they haven't hit. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so maybe that's the formula for you know for for Mick. You know, and I was thinking, well, maybe that might be the same for me. You know, maybe this is this is the formula that's gonna you know make me have hit records and bring the best out of me. So I, you know, started to uh, you know second guess myself and everything, and so then I uh, uh, at the uh, the behest of uh, Otis Smith. Uh, record executive at ABC who went on to, you know, do his own thing with Beverly Glenn Records and, you know, do the big hits with uh, Bobby Womack and Anita Baker, uh, he suggested that I get with uh, Frank Wilson, who was a, a, you know, legendary Motown producer who had just left Motown and and work with Frank and, uh, you know, and I was writing songs and uh, and Frank had songs and we just kind of put them together and bam, you know, Choosing You just hit. It was like, wow, you know. Records are just flying off the shelf, and uh, you know Frank was open everything. You know we needed horns. He said, "Let's get the Tower Problem horns to play on this." You know, kind of give you some continuity, give the audience some. You know, and he was thinking, he was amenable to you know, uh, you know, to you know, suggestions. And uh, I remember doing "Shudu Fufu ooh A friend of mine came down from San Diego, and uh, Michael Thompson, and we wrote foo Fufu oo I call Frank on the telephone. Uh, I just wrote this song 20 minutes ago. Oh, I love it. You know, two days later, we're in the studio recording it, you know, and, and a month later, it, it's out. You know, it was like, it was just hitting all cylinders, you know, just in synchronization. And it was, you know, it was beautiful.
1: And you had such amazing players on there too. I mean, you mentioned some of the guys behind the scenes, but also, you know, I'm looking at the credits here, people like Ray Parker yeah. and, um, uh, James Gatson, Ali Brown, James Jamerson, Nathan Watts, Willie Weeks, um, Greg filling I mean, what an all-star lineup.
0: Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that's all Frank Wilson, you know, bringing in those guys, you know, and, uh, you know, and, you know, and, and then all of his experience at, uh, at Motown, you know, so it's like, I'm getting the benefit of Barry Gordy through Frank Wilson, you know, and then he's even bringing in James Jamerson, you know what I mean? Uh, the greatest R and B bass player ever, you know, I mean, you know, and uh, you know, the litmus, you know, test by which, you know, every bass player is, you know, measured by, you know. And so, you know, I was just the recipient of uh, you know, just the goodness, you know, God's goodness and and uh just talented, talented people.
1: Well, such a joyous, soulful and danceable record, you know, it brought all that together. Yeah. Um what what was it like when you went out doing your own shows at that point?
0: It was great. You know, I started doing shows. The next thing you know, I'm opening up for Natalie Cole, and I'm opening up for Teddy Pendergrass. I'm, you know, just uh, doing it. You know, the men, the dramatics, the floaters, you name it. I'm on Temptations. I'm on the shows with, the, you know, uh, my heroes. You know, I mean, all these people became my contemporaries. And uh, it was uh, just uh, an amazing, amazing time in my life. Yeah.
1: And were you immediately doing covers of some of the Tower Power stuff? You know, still doing that, or only doing your new stuff?
0: I was only doing my new stuff. I I think that I would do maybe "So Very Hard to Go." I think in some of the shows, but other than that, I wouldn't do any. I didn't do any Tower Power, which I still don't. You know, you know, it's like you got to go out these shows now. I think the only uh, Tower song I do is uh, "So Very Hard to Go." And then I get down south. Sometimes I don't, I don't even do that. But I'm on the west coast, you know, uh, California, Oregon, uh, you know, places like that, uh, Nevada. I do sing more the, the Tower Power because you know people, you know, they want to want to hear that. Uh, but um, yeah, during that time period, I think the only something I did from Tower was probably uh, so very hard to go. Yeah.
1: I noticed on the follow-up, Lenny, Spark of Love, um, it seemed like you did less writing. Is that because you sort of had some stuff stockpiled from while you were still with Tower of Power that you got out there for choosing you? And then maybe you didn't have as much material when you got to the follow-up?
0: Well, I was on on the road a lot. And so I was traveling around. I can't remember how many songs I wrote on. uh, I know Cost of Love You is on there. And uh, then Frank had a lot of writers that he was bringing in. And I was liking some of their stuff. But I mean, definitely my emphasis was on writing. So I, I can't really remember. I can't uh, look at the record and see what I wrote. I remember uh, we did that song, uh, "Half Past Love. And I remember that uh, they wanted me to go on uh, Don Kirsten's rock concert. Right. And it's like, I got to get on rock concert. So then there was like, I'm going to fly to New York. Don Kirsten wants to meet with you. We were close, right? So I go over in Don Kirsten's office, you know, and. Avenues of America sitting there, and he comes in, and hey, Lenny is a chit-chat, you know. Then he's like, I got this song, Lenny, I think you might like. And he plays a couple of songs, and Half Past Love comes on, you know. I'm like, Half Past Love, Halfway to Lose. i was like, oh, I like that. Like, so you want to do that, Lenny? I'm like, yeah. Shake hands, go outside, get back to the hotel room. Okay, we're good. You do Half Past Love, and... Um, we got a date for you, August, whatever, you're on the show. It's like, okay, this is music business, you know, pat my back, I'll pat your back. And uh, so that was one of the reasons that that song came on, besides it's a good song. And, uh, you know, when it was like, hey, you know, I'm getting on, uh, you know, Don Kirchner's rock concert. And so, you know, so any song that I would have written would, you know, been, you know, especially if, it was special, if it was like what we felt was a great hit, then probably would have put it on but we had to make slot for that, you know? Yeah. So it was, a, it was, a, you know, it was, you know, music business. Yeah. It was, you know, it was like, yeah, it's, it's the way you, it's the way you do it. You know, it's this good old American business. Yeah. Making it happen.
1: And midnight girl, I hit number 20. So you had another, uh, sizable hit on that record. Wow. Um, and, um, what was the story with uh, Cause I Love You? Because you did it uh, before that as a sort of, it was a shorter version, right? And then, and then you revisited it. Uh, speak to the life of that song a little bit.
0: Well, I did. I wrote that song. And at that time, um, Willie Sparks. after I finished the album, his, his brother Ted Sparks played on it, but uh, on the record. But then uh, Willie, uh, then, then Ted went on to play with Natalie Cole. And so I needed a drummer. So Willie came in. And then he was like, uh, hey, man, uh, you know, he was more of a funk drummer. And he was like, you know, you you sing a lot of ballads, you know, and I'm just a funk, so I'm I'm quitting, you know. But he did say one thing to me in his exit interview. It wasn't really an exit interview, but, you know, kind of like, you know, when I stopped to think of it, he says, with that song called I Love You, you should slow that song down and you should put some talking in it. And so it didn't really register to me because I didn't expect Willie's, uh, you know, songwriting acumen or whatever, you know, but uh, I started doing it on the road, right? And, and then I did slow it down. And I did put some talking in it. And so then I remember when I got ready to do the Spark of Love album, I went to Frank and I was like, yeah, this is what I've been doing on the road. And he's like, oh man, I love it. Well, I, I, it was even long, it's seven minutes on the record, but it, it was even longer than that. He said, we're going to cut some of this out, cut that out. And then I had done it on Motown. So we had to go to Motown because you know, they usually say that, you know, you out of respect, you know, you don't just do, you know, if you did it on a, on a particular label and you go to another label, you don't just do one of their song, one of the songs, you know, right away, you know, they wanted you to wait two or three years or something. So we got an agreement. You know, it didn't hit over there. So it was like, Hey, you know, they made a, a business decision. Hell, it didn't hit, you know, let him do it again. You know, we'll waive the time, you know, restraints. And so I did it again. We slowed down, did, had the talking in it. And then the day I did the the, the song, uh, Andre Crouch had been begging to come to the studio to hang out with me. So then he's sitting there looking at me, you know, the greatest gospel, you know, arranger and performer of, of that particular time. So then I, you know, I just had to really dig deep, you know, at least I want to, you know, get Andre to you know, to wave his hand or, you know, say hallelujah or something, you know, or give me a smile. And so, you know, it just all came together. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But definitely came together. Um, classic, you know, I mean, I, was, I mean, I,
0: the song's been sampled, you know, uh, you know, Kanye West and Twisted and, and uh, so many different people have sampled it. Uh, Scarface, uh, i could just go on and on and on. And uh <coughs> Probably that song probably made me a couple million bucks. You
1: know? Nothing wrong with that. Uh, and you had a Renee and Angela track on there too. They wrote one. That
0: was yeah, on Angela, yeah, uh, Angela, uh, Wimbush, right? Yeah.
1: Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, that record also I noticed on the credits had, uh, you mentioned George Clinton a little earlier had Billy Bass uh, from Funkadelic doing mm-hmm. some music on there. Uh, and the guitar players, man, you had Lee Ritenour, Wawa Watson, Paul Jackson Jr.
0: Right. Wow. Lee Ritenour played on the "Cause I Love You," right? Yeah. Uh huh.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's fire. Um, so subsequently, I mean, you put out several more albums, and um, uh, "Loop De Loop" was on the next one. I think uh, was a hit. Uh, you, you um, got a more upbeat, funkier hit with that one. Yeah. Um, how did that kind of change? Did that change, you know, your, your live show at all? Did you start making it more up-tempo or what was the focus?
0: Well, let just put it in a set, you know, I mean, I guess I, you know, by growing up with Sly and all those guys like that, you know, well, my inclination was to be funky, you know, uh, and, you know, kind of always want one to kind of chase that, you know, at least to say, Hey, you know, I, I did a real funky record, you know what I mean? And, Uh, but maybe it's not my uh, forte, but, you know, that, but I did it, you know? And uh, so, uh, you know, that was uh, an attempt to to do that. I don't think that uh, it uh, came out exactly the way I wanted to do it. I thought that the way my band did it was a little more funkier than we did it with the, uh, you know, the studio musicians. Uh, But that was, you know, Frank, you know, he uh, always wanted to use, uh, you know, studio guys as opposed to, you know, my guys that I played with in Oakland, you know, and, you know, I, you know, did what he, you know, what he wanted to do, you know, you know, he was a producer and, and I was being produced. So, you know, and it worked for me, but, you know, it was just an attempt and, you know, but not just, you know, I realized that, you know, what, you know, what my meat and potatoes is, you know, it's ballads and mid-temple and, things of that nature and uh you know then just you know learn how to pace a show so you throw something in that's a little up tempo and uh you know keep the audience you know uh, uh keep their attention and uh, you know and made it work
1: and then you know going into the 80s was was a challenging period for a lot of uh you know black artists in particular because of the disco backlash and moving to sort of a corporate r&b kind of sound and and the and the you know, corporate aspect of the music industry. How did you feel about that? You know, and did you feel like it was a challenge to navigate?
0: Well, you know, I mean, it's. Um, I mean, you're in the music business and you have you're being creative, but I mean, I guess it's like in any other business. You know, if a certain if you're in the clothing business and a certain item of clothing is popular or a certain style, you know, you. You may not just copy it, but you want something, you know, in you know, in that style, you know, to you know, keep the cash register ringing, and so you know, you just adapt, you know, so you know, I just adapt it to you know, trying to do longer records, you know, to make people dance, and you know, use some of the sounds that that were you know, familiar, you know, that were familiar in disco records, and you know. And I think that, you know, I mean, songs like Bad Luck, you know, or, you know, that the OJs did, it was pre-disco, but you could say, well, it's a disco record because people dance, you know, you dance for 10 minutes or whatever, you know, so I think a lot of times they put labels on on things. So I just thought that, that disco was basically up-tempo music, uh, R&B, and then, uh, you know, uh just had certain kinds of sounds that they put into it that made it, uh, you know, the violins and things like that, that made it, uh, you know, uh, kind of fit into this little cubicle, so to speak, that they called uh, disco. Yeah, you know, so it's just just go with the flow and try to do, you know, what, what you do best. And, you know, and, and you know, you got lions, uh, you know, you feed, you feed them their meat, you know. And so that was what was happening and, you know, tried to, you know, uh, follow along those lines.
1: I felt like with uh, Let's Do It Today uh, from 1980, it was a little more polished, a little more kind of sophisticated, Mm -hmm. you know, sound that that you seem to be going for with that, you know, as you moved into a new decade.
0: Yeah, I uh, think that was my last record on uh, MCA, I think it was, I'm not
1: sure. Well, Taking Chances, uh, according to the dates I have, was last, but.
0: I'm not sure what label let's uh let's do it today was on. It's MCA. MCA, right. Yeah. So that uh Frank had uh became a Frank Wilson became a minister and uh you know he was into that. I think he had kind of given up doing uh b records and he was kind of like on the way out on that album that I did uh with uh doing the loop de loop on and uh and uh, you know, we kind of felt like that we didn't get his full uh, you know, uh, effort because he was you know kind of conflicted, you know, doing with his, you know, we'd be in the studio and he'd get a phone call and you know, it was a church and he'd go in the back room and be praying or mm-hmm. scripture to someone helping them, and it's like, you know, we're trying to make a record, you know, but uh, you know, but Frank's a great guy, you know, yeah, so. Uh, so I, we went switched over i think i got uh Duboff uh steam or something who was a longtime record guy uh, to come in and produce that that album along with me and my manager sandy newman and uh yeah give, give it a, a good college try yeah
1: uh, well and by the time you did taking chances uh i felt like the sound to me was a little reminiscent of like what solar was was doing with their artists and kind of that kind of Type of approach. I think I
0: had Dana, or whatever his name is, and yeah. uh, uh, the Will Kevin
1: Reynolds. I think or Kevin. Uh, yeah, is it Kevin Reynolds? Will uh,
0: whatever his name was. Uh, uh, Kevin Spencer. Yeah. Yeah. Right, and uh, you know, come over and do something. Yeah. So you know, it was just you know trying to find yourself. You know, ebb and flow. You know, and uh, yeah, so yeah, it's part of uh, you know, the train. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So then you were free of majors from that point on. Right. And you kind of started finding your way with your own records and independence and things like that, uh, which I'm sure gave you more freedom, but was more challenging in other aspects. Right.
0: I mean, I, I put on the executive hat, then I started understanding why record companies want publishing, (laughs) you know, you know, they got to pay for, you know, getting the records on the radio and you know what I mean? And, paying for, you know, distribution, get the records where they're supposed to go and all kinds of stuff, you know. So it's like, oh, I, I understand these guys now, you know, they put, you know, put a trillion dollars into these records. And then, you know, and, you know, and the artist goes off and makes, you know, 35, 40, 50 grand a night. And, and they're trying to sell records. And, you know, and so, you know, they want publishing, they want this, they want that they want to pay a small you know uh you know artist fee you know so i get it you know and so you know it just uh broadened my you know my whole scope of uh you know of you know of of the record business you know and i you know started to start understanding it and uh and you know just uh you know realize uh you know that the guy's accountant sit up there and sometimes you make the company profitable by cutting stuff out <laughs> you know what i mean you yeah, we're profitable we sold more. no 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 we just uh cut out this and cut out that and cut out 50 jobs and and uh you know we're profitable bam you know we're in the black you know so i you know i, I started you know i started getting it yeah
1: well especially in the 80s uh it became in vogue to cut out horn players you know and go yeah. with the synthesizers um mm-hmm
0: overheims and all that kind of stuff yeah you know came into existence and you know you start doing that you know instead of just having a band and you know keeping them on salaries like okay work this week you know you get paid next week you don't we're not working you don't get paid you know it's like you know you know you just you know you just learn how to how to how to make it happen yeah
1: I know she started working with some of the uh, other Bay area guys I've had on the show, like uh, Felton and, um, and Preston glass. Uh, how did you get in touch with those guys?
0: Well, I knew Preston uh, way back when he was working with Nardo, you know, when he first came out here, him and uh, was a guy that was on uh, Randy Jackson. You know, I knew Randy when he came out here from Louisiana, you know, and uh, you know, so I, you know, had a long association with them uh, and, you uh, know, and then just started, uh, you know, doing some doing some songwriting with
1: them. Yeah. Well, and you kind of talk about the the challenges of promoting and distributing on your own. I think you know that's evident, possibly, in something like 10 Ways of Loving You," with I thought thought was a really strong, kind of spinners type vibe track that probably should have been a bigger hit.
0: Yeah, I mean, when I was a, uh, I was a, uh, I did that record uh, on a subsidiary of. Uh, a fantasy, you know, so I thought that maybe, you know, Ralph and those guys over there might have been able to make that record happen, you know, uh, you know, cause they, you know, had, you know, done the you know, credence and whatever, and, you know, had the whole apparatus set up, but they didn't, you know, but that's a big cult record down in beach music, all down in the Carolinas and things like that. And it's, you know, serving pretty well. And, um, yeah, I just think that'd be a nice record for some, you know, young kid to do, you know, young, young group, you know, to do maybe change some of the names, you know, but, you know, 10 Ways of Loving You, you know, kind of, you know, so, you know, you know, songs are, you know, they never die, you know, they're they you know, for, you know, for somebody to resuscitate them, you know, just, you know, bring them back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm sure at some point in time, you know, some, some young artists will pick that up and do it and have a hit with it
1: did you ever imagine that songs like uh you know so very hard to go and what is hip and all those would be so evergreen you know
0: Uh i, I mean i listen to those songs sometimes and you know, i sit around the house and i listen to them and i was like wow you know i mean i was actually part of that you know and uh, you know fantastic records and uh you know and they've stood the test of time you know and I'm just honored to you know been on them been a part of it yeah but i mean just Thinking that, you know, there's going to, you know, they're going to be multi-generational, be accepted, you know, over the, you know, decades was, those songs are like 40, 50 years old almost. And, you know, they just, you know, sound good. And, and I was just like, wow, I was actually a part of that, you yeah. know, and, you know, I sang on that. Yeah, yeah.
1: Do you anticipate the uh, album coming uh, with that yeah, single? Yeah, I'm always doing music. I'm always doing music.
0: I got young kids This Brent Dixon kid is calling me every. Come on, Mister Lenny, we got to get a got to get a hit record. We got to get. We got to let's get this album finished. Let's get this EP. You know. And I was telling my wife, I said, "Ooh, that kid Brent is on me. He's on me. He's on. And I say, "Brent, I'm. We just got to doing this record. Now I got my executive hat on. I'm trying to make this record a hit. And so I'm not thinking about songwriting and." And uh, this and that, and everything. No, I'm so many. No, 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 I'm so many. You know, <laughs> it's like, oh my God, this kid is, you know, it's like driving a 1956, you know, uh, Ford or Chevy and, you know, got it in, you know, the, the fifth gear. Did they have five gears then? You know, and just, you know, pedal to the metal. And I'm like, this is an old car. <laughs> it's like it's going to fall apart. You know, so, yeah, so definitely that's uh, definitely in the in the plan.
1: <laughs> well, I, I think we all need that sometimes. A little kick in the butt, keep us going, you know, and the music helps keep us young, right?
0: Uh,
1: yeah. Yeah. How can uh, people best keep up with what you have coming?
0: Well, they can go to LennyWilliams.com, you know, and uh, that's my, my website. Uh, I'm on uh, uh, Twitter at Lenny Williams. Uh, I'm on Instagram, uh, the real Lenny Williams. And if they come up with something today, something new, a new platform, I'll be on it tomorrow.
1: Yeah. All right. Hey Lenny, it's been such a blast reminiscing with you and hearing all the great stories and going through your career. And it's been such a joy, you know, for all these years hearing all your great music. So thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. All right. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Truth and Rhythm. A big thank you goes out to our guest as well as to you, the viewer and listener. Also much gratitude to pleasure for supplying the show's funky opening and closing music. As a reminder, you can always access the complete list of link shows by episode at funkinstuff.net. I urge you to support this program and receive the extra benefits along with that by subscribing to the Funk and Stuff channel on YouTube and sharing it with funk, R&B, and jazz lovers, joining Truth and Rhythm's membership program at Patreon, submitting a donation at funkinstuff.net. buying Everything is on the One, the First guide to Funk book at Amazon, Shopping at the Funky Things store for cool merchandise at funkinstuff.net, and linking through funkinstuff.net for all of your Amazon purchases. In addition, if you're an artist or anyone seeking proven, results oriented professional marketing, PR, writing, or editing consultation or production, check out the media services section at funkinstuff.net. Also, I encourage you to drop me a line at scottg at funkinstuff.net. I love the feedback, suggestions, guest requests, appearance and sponsorship inquiries, and just talking about my favorite subject, groove-based music. For now, and as always, this is Scott Dr. GX Wolfine saying, keep, on, keep vibing on vibing to the rhythm of the one.